we, okay, we set this thing up. I'm just going to complain to our audience here for a second because mm-hmm. both of, both of you should hear this. Yeah, um, mom, mom, pay attention. Yeah. Um. Uh. There has been some things happening in Twitter that are just thing, and so I created the Jaunty Mantis, and every time I look at it, it's just like right wing news stuff, just like dropped straight in. I'm just like Jaunty Mantis as a podcast does not care about Ben Shapiro. <laughs> like, right. like we, I had it follow RPG creators. D&D stuff and all this political stuff just comes through. And I'm like, but yeah, let me confirm who we are on Twitter. Definitely. Um, Editor, please cut that last part out. Uh, Keep it. Welcome to the Jaunty Mantis podcast. This is a podcast about creative questions for curious gamers. And Matthew Herzberg, are we using our real names? Shit. Uh, yeah, I think I think we are. I have nothing to hide. I'm Jesse Sauer. Okay, Jesse is my best friend and hetero life mate. We have been gaming for, gosh, almost our entire lives at this point. And yes, that's exactly what you wanted is another gaming podcast with two 40 something straight white men. <laughs> but here we are nonetheless. And we thought for this episode, we do something more of like a design episode, something geared towards, you know, we uh, noticed something in a book. We decided to talk about it and expand from there. So that That's the gist of it, right, Jesse? So episode two uh jaunty mantis in space mm-hmm. is that we make all right so today's episode is about wild spaces creating spaces correct jesse and what was the inspiration behind this episode i think just something that we had talked about uh one of our favorite things when we had a lot more time uh was to go to the deluxe diner rip king uh, in Chicago, Illinois, and uh, drink coffee, endless pots of coffee. I would mm-hmm. eat a franchisee because I hate myself. Um, <laughs> and then we would just like riff like we're doing now and come up with worlds. And so we have some that we sort of created, never did anything with, and thought those might be the core of a great space yeah. uh, for a wild space sector for Spelljammer. Yeah, I don't have my thumb on the pulse of anything, let alone the gaming community, let alone the D&D gaming community. But the few points of exposure that I have had is that a lot of people have been upset with Spelljammer and their lack of uh, inclusion of certain content. And I think that spaces is one of the big things that I personally would have needed um, you know, in a book is like, give me everything I need to create some weird, fucked up, awesome you know, uh, sci-fi fantasy stuff in space, you know, give me, give me guidelines for planets. Give me guidelines for phenomenon. Give me guidelines for all kinds of stuff I can throw at the party so that I don't have to come up with all of it myself or start looking for it online. And this reminds me of, and this is, this is going way back here. This reminds me of the D20 version uh of uh 3.0 they made a version of it under the d20 license the ogl it was the farscape role-playing game farscape was one of my favorite tv shows and my friend here uh organized uh you know a gifting of the official book i was overjoyed the funny thing about the farscape d20 is that it contained so much extra like i guess you would call it lore or information about the universe that was not canon whatsoever which was a hysterical and b very helpful because if i wanted to you know make a a planet or 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 plan something to happen in space i would just look in this book and was it the best resource ever the definitive resource for you know space phenomenon no but it was a great starting point and so that's really what I was looking for in 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 a spelljammer book and I think that the spaces that they did provide you know they're pretty good but I, it's so limited. Yep, I I think 
yeah, that, that game was at least as accurate as Peace Keeps War. And <laughs> yeah. uh, um, so one of the things I thought about with this is just like, so what gives a, a good hook um, mm-hmm. for a DM to or to present a situation in an area for players? And I thought about this in like, you know, retrospective, if you're familiar with gamers of a certain age, well remember uh like the description of an area i think rifts and palladium books were super egregious with this of just like how do you start to describe a town or a place or a city well you have an elaborate breakdown of the percentage of the population of each species Mm -hmm. which has got to be one of the most like useless pieces of information to ever write down like who needs to know that 12 percent of the population are dwarves Mm -hmm. um so Obviously, that's an older method of doing it, and uh, I think that may even be in some of the older Spelljammer material as well. Right. Like what's the makeup of this space? But I got to think one of the um, – I don't know if I have my pulse on the, the community, but I do have a lot of RPG books. I, I love collecting them and reading them, and as I'm a parent, I don't read – get to read fiction anymore because I'm just reading gaming books in my reading time. And one of the guys who I think does this really well um, is the master of Kickstarters and also the master of, uh, I think, sandbox gaming. I don't know if you could technically say he's OSR, but it's Kevin Crawford Mm -hmm. of Sign Nominee, Mm -hmm. um, who's published books such as uh, Godbound and Worlds Without Number and Stars Without Number, um, amongst others. And uh, one of the things he has in the section on generating adventures that I think would make a pretty great frame is that each place might have a couple of little tags just as a descriptor. Mm -hmm. um, And then a thing that players might ostensibly want um, friends, people who are going to be disposed to be friendly to the NPCs, foes who are going to be against them. um, And then a place and then maybe a twist. So I thought as we sketch out a space, it might be good to come at it from a creation lens of what things are there to, you know, basically draw adventure, to draw story or uh, for a DM to want to use it in the space. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I think my only addition, my yes and to that would be that if you're going to do something, and maybe this should be across the board, um, but, and, and I, I think I'm kind of a little bit referencing the, uh, the lazy dungeon master books, uh, by Sly flourish in this regard, but I feel like every location in a space fantasy game should have a, Oh fuck, that's cool, uh, appeal to it. And I, I realize that can kind of be a challenge for, uh, gamers in the DMS chair. Like not everybody considers themselves a super creative person in this regard, but I think one of the hallmarks of science fiction and fantasy is this larger than life, epic, weird, crazy feel to it. Like in the Guardians of the Galaxy movie, uh, when they go to nowhere, it's that giant head. And and being a fan of of that those characters from the comic books, the fact that they even threw that in there had me clapping in the movie theater. Uh, so I think like having that in addition to everything you said is like, what is this? What is one outstanding feature that really like sets that vibe or feel for the party when they're, when they're about to visit there. And I think one of the ways to do that, if you're not necessarily comfortable with doing that is just a cheap little easy hack is take something that you like and know about and just increase the scale to stupid. Right. Um, And one of those is one of the first things as I was thinking about for notes about this is like this space um, the mandala idea that I had mm-hmm. mentioned a while ago. So one of the things that's in Spelljammer and the astral sea is this whole idea of like the bodies of dead gods and mm-hmm. like different races have their like city states on this. And I just thought one of the themes I had liked about revitalizing this idea was to me, this idea of things being fundamentally broken, mm-hmm. something went wrong a long time ago. And does it matter what that thing is? No, right. it probably doesn't. Uh, that could be a secret to there going back to the lazy dungeon master, the secret of what actually happened. But I was thinking at the edges of this space, there's basically a mandala of dead gods. 
that mm. sort of ring this area of space as if the whole pantheon in some sort of murder-suicide pact or tried to do something that just fundamentally broke this area of space and their corpse's life floating. And that is a great entry point because okay. you know, those have been colonized by survivors or whatever. And so you might have different factions on the different gods. And that's just a point to start kicking right. this ringing of petrified god bodies that aligns perfectly if you see it from high above it makes a mandala around this gotcha so bleeding our, rent in reality i don't our first step in this process so step one is i guess to come up with you know this visual or thematic aspect to build around this oh wow kind of uh tag or feature so we'll starting with the corpses of uh, you know, dead gods out in space. That's what we're going with. So that's step one is we want to come up with that cool vibe factor, that great image. And that's our image we're starting with. That's step one. Um, that there's the, that's in play. This, the area has been colonized. That's the concept we're working with. What's what's next after that then? Is it the reason for the party to go there? Or uh, is there another part of it? Yeah, I think we... Like, I don't know if you agree with me on the theme, but I love this theme of, of broken because um, it lets you get super weird. And so as far as like a reason for the party to go there or a unique feature, the one of the ideas that I had, and this kind of goes back, we're sort of cribbing uh, off a thing we talked about a while. Should we just talk about the, yeah. the old concept real quick? Yeah. We had this idea of a world that had been like built as a test world by the gods for them to try different things out. And the entire world was basically like a giant tower of columns where there was a different biome in each one. And there were stairs inside the columns that let you travel. Um, but don't dig a hole because you'll punch through. And mm -hmm. then all the water on your level will drain out. And some of the staircases were broken. Um, and the gods had abandoned the, you know, laboratory of creation. Mm -hmm. uh, if you will. And I would like to point this out. We came up with this um, before they did it in World of Warcraft. So <laughs> before we knew what the Titans were in World of Warcraft, we came up with this idea. It's probably mm -hmm. not original, very zeitgeisty. But um, so I think that idea of this laboratory of creation, that something went terribly awry and is now broken. And that led me to thinking about that. What is a thing that's unique, a thing that people might need or a reason to go there? Um, one of the things in the DMG talking about the other planes is that there is no permanent portal. Like there are no portals to the far realm mm -hmm. where madness and change and the elder gods sort of live. And I thought, what if these gods who are now this mandal of corpses just fucked up so badly that at the center of the core world of this, there is a permanent portal to the far realm that just mm. seeps mutating change and madness uh, into the broken, you know, fortune cookie shell of this world. Okay. So the idea is that um, the reason for the party to explore or come to this place is this um, storyline of, you know, um, godlike misfortune in this experimental world that has a portal to the far realm in it. So that's our part number two. That's our reason for the party to go there. Yeah. So we can seed this fantastic um, phenomenon, this place with that aspect. That's your throughput. You can design an entire campaign around that, right? Like I figured yeah. that I figured that goes beyond location. You know, the massive scale of this is like the reason for the party to go there is that there's this storyline or this th thematic throughput and you get it right from that opening visual, right? If you're in your star jammer and you're entering the system and there's all these, you know, um, you know, bodies out in space, but they don't real, they can see it from a distance, but then as they get in closer and closer, it's, it's revealing this story as you get into that main part of the system, right? Yep. Okay, so then what is step three then after we've come up with our reason for the party to go there? Well, I mean, that's why Why would PCs need something from the Far Realm or something Far Realm related or they need to, you know, this is the place to go. So um, then we would probably need to think about um, friends and foes. 
Mm -hmm. Um, one of the things I think that this is a great time for Spelljammer, at least the older versions, is the whole idea of, uh, you know, if you're playing an officially licensed D&D, you've got the the Mind Flayers, right? Mm. Who are the spawn of the Far Realm, and they're probably all over the jagged asteroid rocks of this. And, um, you know, that's so that's a thing uh, as you know, you could even make them friends. They've got plenty to eat. I don't know. <laughs> mm-hmm. So friend or foe, but that's just a group or an organization that's out there. Uh, one of the things we had also had is like, um, and this kind of gets into 3.5 cosmology a little bit, but we had talked about the idea that there was a gravity like field inside to the sides of the column or to the sides of this, you know, experimental world tower. And so anybody that fell off the, the side fell mm-hmm. through and then fell back up and fell through, which is hilarious because that ties into the way gravity works on a spell jammer. Mm-hmm. Uh, but being unable to move, they would then get stuck out there and eventually expire. So since the ecosystem was so wrecked, the only really building material was bone from just this like planner Think of the rings of Saturn of just bone that, uh, you know, rings the sort of central sphere of this uh, this world. Um, and we had also had the idea of like a group of like necromancers and bone ships who basically just like ply this like harvesting bone. And those, I think, would be a really good friend. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And then as far as enemies, you could make it that, you know, since we're talking about these bodies of these deceased gods and they can be inhabited by much smaller creatures, you could make a cult that is worships um, some aspect of the pantheon that they, all of these gods belong to and that their death meant a very specific thing and you could make different factions of them that live on each one of these different dead gods or maybe a few of them that's where their home base is out of and this is a sacred space for them because they have some sort of plan in order maybe it's to bring one or two of them back or maybe it's they figure that the that they need to complete the gods uh work in this environment right on that planet and they're just all they need to do is find what is essentially that button to finish the process right and and what that means is different according to each sect of this cult and they fight amongst each other um uh, they have loose uh, alliances with each other um and so they're constantly monitoring this world patrolling its orbit um interfering with things that are trying to happen on the surface so you have these allies who are trying to harvest the necromantic aspects of this world the bones the the death aspect and they need protection they need resources you know they need uh like all the sort of things that go into like a D game essentially in between the fights right yeah yeah and then you've got whatever population you want to put on the shell of the world itself mm-hmm. um that's they're obviously probably going to be uh, twisted in ways uh, mm-hmm. because they're next to a stable opening to the far realm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. I mean, you could go like it's. I, I always like to take the 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 trope and try and turn it on its head. <clears throat> so if you had like twisted mutants, like maybe they're I don't know they're very uh, they're very cosmopolitan um, mm-hmm. and like comfortable with their mutation. Yeah, so basically we just, we have a couple factions at play. We have a thing that they want. Um, we have a thing in, in the center of the world that the PCs might need to get, might need to find to go or have a reason to go there. Mm-hmm. Um, and to me, like, we just, I feel like what we've done in the discussion is we've built around partially ideas we thought were cool, which I think you should always do as a DM. Um but also we built it around hooks. Like what are the things you can start to spin out and generate a story with? And I mean, right. if we wrote this up textually, it would probably take about as much textual space as one of the spaces in the spell jammer book. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think would have a lot more points of interest right, for people to run campaigns in it. Yeah. 
Like I, I, I have a feeling that a lot of people are looking for, you know, a lot of super detailed information about things that you're never going to use. Um, and I, and, and as a callback to the earlier part of the discussion with that Farscape book, like, you know, it was a great resource. It would cover some essential things, but it suffered from a lot of the same aspects of science fiction, which science fiction tends to, in my opinion, make a generic monolithic form of anything it can get its hands on, right? So Klingons are the bad guys in Star Trek, and there's this warrior culture, and that's that's what they are. They're the warrior culture, and that's all they are. And it isn't until you start getting into uh, a certain amount of next generation episodes where they start getting into the minutia of the what the warrior culture is what its problems are what it's what it's facing what it what its potential future is like then you get into deep space nine and they start exploring that a little bit more and so on and so forth but klingons are forever and foremost this entire warrior culture which is you know it it serves its purpose in a visual like storytelling medium of TV and movies, right? When, when this alien appears, you need to know what that means. And that's all it was necessary for in the original series. Uh, and, and, but that tends to go, you know, in all aspects, this is the frost planet. This is the pleasure planet. This is the, you know, whatever planet, this, this is the alien race who it's like, they're known for X and that's their, their entire race is known for that. And it's like, I think that more effort, the more, like it's almost like a masturbatory effect of of gamers especially dungeon masters although players do it too in their backstories where it's like you know we think everything is important as a dungeon master i start creating a town and i'm like oh and then there was this group of bandits who settled here like hundreds of years ago but then this plague happened and so underneath the all the buildings is it like are all these like archaeological finds of like what their culture was like and how they settled here and it's like the players are never going to find that they're wasting your fucking shit. time and, yeah, and, and even when they don't went, yeah exactly and even when they do find it they don't give a shit so do you, I don't, if you had if you had a published campaign setting with all that information that you love like say eberron um <laughs> yeah like yeah. maybe one of your players is gonna read the passage of the book you asked them to read right they don't care they just right. need a hook to get there and i think uh just going back to what you're saying about the aliens one of the things i think sci-fi or maybe more mature sci-fi does well is explore the other mm -hmm. um, explore those cultures and move beyond the sort of pulp tropes not that i you know don't enjoy stories like that but move beyond those to to look at the other as people but i don't think that's what a role-playing game does i think it can do that but i don't think DD &D is intended to and if you're you have a group of players that want to do that more power to you but mm. I would suggest that chances are you very much do not. And uh, they just want to go have adventures and see their PCs look cool. Right, right. And if you want to tell an amazingly detailed story full of full of your own invention and design, write a novel. Yeah. You know, just write a novel. Who cares if it's good or bad? Do it for your own edification. Don't release it to an audience. Just write it so you have it. Write write like a source book that you never plan on releasing or using in your adventures. Like that's a lesson I had to learn the hard way with. Uh, I think that's when I leveled up as a DM was uh, as a game master was the moment where I, I realized I was like, oh, holy shit, this isn't about me. This isn't about my story. I just need to set the table and put a few delicious looking items on the table and then watch what the players do and then react to what they do and start making the game around that. You know, like you yeah. can come up with the framework and have a plan in place, but you should be planting these things on the table in front of them for that, you know, where you should be like, eh, what do you think about this hamburger? You know, it looks pretty good, huh? What do you think about this vegetarian lasagna, huh? Like, that's how you should be DMing is like you, you made something, put it on the table, see how they react to it. Because my favorite moments in any game, we had this in one of our most recent games was... You know, you created the I, I created this scene. The players come into the scene. They see something happening, and you you guys as the players, your reaction to it was not what I had planned. And I loved your reaction to it so much more. I was like in my brain, I'm like, fuck it, we're going with that. So like <laughs> in the moment, we just went with that instead because I loved it that much more. Now, if I had spent hours designing that room and the rest of the dungeon the way that I used to when we were younger, it's like I would have been like, oh, well. 
So that's not what happens there. And so I think like that's, I think when you get kind of try to tie it back to Spelljammer and science fiction, I think people are intimidated by the scale of science fiction. Like you have to come up with this planet and God, there's billions of people on this planet and it has this long history and you better have stats for each and every one of those people. Exactly. And it's like, I, I'm much more of a, I, I think this is the same problem as, as box text. It's like, I hate box text. What I would prefer in a pre-written adventure is if you just gave me tags and then listed them, color-coded them or listed them in a priority order as to which ones are most important. And then let me just look at them and then describe the room around it, you know? And so I think that's what people should do. So I don't have a problem with the way that they present creating wild spaces or their examples in the Spelljammer book. I just wish they had more of them, you know? Yeah, and I... to. Even the two, like I mean, I like them. I thought, I thought, uh, Doom Space was cool as an idea, but there weren't a ton of hooks. Right. It was just a description of like this thing happened in the past, and now these people are here, and these people are here, and these people are here. Like there's the one moon or whatever that's just covered in mountain, and there's brogs there, and I'm just like, okay, well, mm. then I wouldn't want to go there, right? Because those are like forearm giants that were originally in dark sun and, and like probably site who, okay. Who, why would you go there um, with brogs? But like, I mean, the way you could twist that is like, there are brogs there who, you know, protect the most productive diamond mind in this region of the astral sea, mm-hmm. like just a detail like that, like, you know, or they dwell among a facility of an ancient wizard, uh, you know, like, I mean, just something that's like, Hey, these things are here, and here's the thing that gives you a hook to build something, a reason to go there. Right. Um, yeah, what you're saying about leveling up as a DM, I think, sort of the same thing. My my, I think box text is the reason. Mm-hmm. You know, box text. When you start getting into the game and you start reading box text, you're like, I have to write box text, right? Because that's what this official product I got mm-hmm. does, and so I'm going to emulate that, which is really probably terrible advice um for a starting gm i mean yeah it's not like you could do a full improv class if you've never run it um and you know again if people like to rely on box text cool i do in some of the campaigns i run out of books but that's not the only thing i rely on mm-hmm. um but yeah i mean it's just uh you level up as a dm when you realize all i need is the core elements and then to present the one that's interesting to me mm-hmm. and to just be curious about what the players are going to do with that right um to not have an idea the players need to do this but to be like i wonder what's going to happen and that that's very much dungeon world play to find out um story gaming principle right Um, as as i was talking uh one of my friends chris you met chris last time you were down here um he said when he does prep the thing that you have to remember as a dm is uh that you're a player too and you're, and all you got to do is just be like, what's most interesting to me about what could happen next? Right. And then put that down. So you're having your fun too, but don't expect the players to do whatever. Just be curious about what's going to happen when you throw this at them. So. Yeah. That's a great piece of advice. That's very smart. Yeah. And I think what I think you can apply that into this situation as well. Right. I mean, it's like you don't have to come up with a super elaborate, like space thing that happens on your on your character's ship you know i'm going back to science fiction television it's like you know it space is this vast open thing uh that you could get lost in at the drop of a hat like if you get separated from your ship right you're gone you're gone forever right um and yet they seem to get hit by a lot of weird phenomenon that's just randomly traveling through the universe right and that i think that's a that's a a commonly key overlooked feature of great space games is like, you don't even have to design a place for them to go to. Like what we just described really in the first part of this conversation, like you could build a whole thing around that, but you could also go very small scale and say, you know, for the next three adventures, I'm going to have them get caught up in this weird ribbon of energy that's going through space and you know when it touches them it does x right that's a common theme in science fiction is there's this weird special effect that the people behind the scenes made and it's coming through space it hits the ship something happens somebody's in an alternate reality or they're their own brother or they're 
you know, gone, you know, gone back in history or they're, you know, whatever the case may be. And like, I think that's a commonly overlooked, like we don't have to make an over-processed adventure full of like, you know, immaculate detail. We can just say, I wonder what would happen if, you know, the players found a derelict space vessel and on this vessel, this is what happens, right? So our larger than like, let's, let's go through our process then for a smaller scale space, uh, space oriented phenomenon. Step one is derelict space vessel of alien design that's never seen before okay got a place right that's the thing right so then we have to come up with something really cool about it we'll steal from science fiction we'll say it looks like a a giant obsidian egg and we'll say that we need to bump it up a notch so we'll say like part of it is destroyed or erupting or has erupted from a volcano or some kind of explosion inside of it and it's surrounded by orbiting shards of super sharp obsidian and there's a faint glowing uh source of energy inside of it that when approached burns really bright and then fades out right and that's that's your oh shit what is this let's investigate right Oh yeah, and in that starts of obsidian when the first time a sweep of it comes around, you mm-hmm. know, the orbit and makes some dodge, it's left on the deck, but say that there's also some like uh broken um I don't know, weapons or something that look of a fine make and if you could find an intact one. Like so what's what's the thing that's gonna trigger your player's greed? to mm-hmm. like actually go in there because I mean, yeah. other than it's there and they're adventurers and are hopefully going to be like, well, let's go see what that bright light is. You know, or right. rational people would probably be like, well, this seems really dangerous with limited rewards. So let's just fly away from it. Well, yeah, there, I mean, there's several different angles you could take. That's a great one. Another one could be that the shards of obsidian uh, are, are, have, are, are floating out from this, vessel like this explosion just happened and so those shards of obsidian are cutting into the space jammer just like steadily destroying it and it's it's the vessels being drawn into the egg because that's where its trajectory was taking it so the players have no choice but to try to land the ship make repairs and and get and investigate the situation right so there's a number of different angles you can take for the reason why they would do it. I mean, you know, the third reason is I'm a fan of just, if the players aren't biting, just be like, look guys, this is the adventure. Like boring people don't exist in this world. Like, you know, as player characters, like you don't live a life where you're like, yeah, that looks weird. We're going to avoid it. Cause we'd like to grow old and have grandchildren. You it's like, you are characters that live in a world where you're like, what the fuck is that? Let's go investigate it and possibly make a horrible decision that gets us all killed. That's D and D, right? That's role playing games. Like, there's no, there's no game without it. So, uh, that's the way I look at it. Is like, if you, if that's if, if if you have to go that route, then I say take it. Um, yeah, but I, I'm just saying, like, you know, when you have something that unknown, it's probably a good idea to telegraph the treasure mm-hmm. or to telegraph the riches, so they're not just like this is a monster or this thing is nothing but a threat. Right. Um, or this thing is a foe to be overcome. So you could even go, you could even like, let's, let's work on the basis that we, we like, like kicking things up a notch from whatever idea we come from. Right. So this, this uh, giant egg of black obsidian, there's been this explosion, there's treasure in it. Let's make it almost like a geode. Right. So the inner parts of these shards of obsidian are like plated with what appears to be like this fantastic special mineral or metal or whatever. Uh, You know, you could even go like a giant Fabergé egg even where it's like it's very valuable on the inside. um, And that's enough to coax the players to go investigate like the promise of, you know, riches or treasure that needs to be investigated. Yeah. Okay, so and what's then, step three? In, okay, go ahead. And I mean, I mean, other things too is if you want to talk about friends and foes, uh, you take the same idea, and someone that they know who's on another spelljammer crew runs into them and says, you know, their ship was taken in by this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a friend, uh, and the thing is, you know, their other friend that they know from before, an NPC who was on this ship. So that's why we got to go there. I mean, like it doesn't just have to be random. Like it can be um, mm-hmm. as a random encounter, sort of. Well, it, there are no real random encounters, are there? <laughs> <laughs> right. But um, 
Yeah, I mean, like, just if you think about that, like, the friend, the foe, uh, foes, like, what's a foe? Uh, the pilots of the ship, the inhabitants, another raiding party. Mm-hmm. Um, like, the For- energy itself is some sort of para-elemental thing that's like an angler fish. I don't know. Right. Like, yeah. The glowing, the glowing from the, the egg could be a, a source of radiation that is slowly killing the party and they don't realize it yet. Um, there could be creatures that were stored inside of it. It could have been a giant floating prison that some ancient society or world, uh, you know, put all these things in here and just threw it out into space to get rid of them. You know, um, could be full of space clowns. Could be full of fucking space clowns, <laughs> the most terrifying of all space-based monsters and uh, enemies. Yeah, for sure. So I, you know, there's, you know, there's many different routes you can go. Um, but I also so wanna... what's I think the question though is like if you're just kicking ideas like yeah. we like to do, um, the question that you then ask yourself I think is the next step is which one is most interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Okay, elaborate. Um, like of all those ideas that uh, the one that I was like, ooh, neat, it's an ancient prison. Mm-hmm. Like that's the one that's the most interesting idea to me. So, you know, like what then do we step back? Like, so that's the place. It's an ancient prison, probably full of ancient lore or, mm-hmm. you know, like the maybe some of these people had planned to be released before whatever disaster. So it's their wealth or treasures are in there waiting for release. I mean, um, and maybe there was a riot and maybe the people escaped and now they populated the descendants of the escapees populate this thing. I mean, right. You just take the idea that's most interesting. And then I think ask, what if, what if, what if, yeah. With a lens of what's the thing that makes it an exciting place to adventure. Right. And there's so many different angles you could go on that. Right. So if we're talking about the descendants of prisoners that were locked up in this thing, you could, you could kind of jumping off of one of your ideas there, you could say that, well, if there were prisoners and let's say that this egg, um, uh, it's on a probationary, uh, route, right? Like they sent it into space. It goes off and eventually comes back to the planet on the idea that when it comes back to the planet, your service has, your sentence has been fulfilled, right? That's that, like they put you in a prison and shoot you into space in a clear, uh, route. And when you come back to the planet, your sentence has been fulfilled. Like that's how they do things. But this thing has been so far off of its course that these descendants, like the original prisoners have lived and died and populated this egg. And there's these certain percentage of the descendants are from prisoners who came to the conclusion that what they did was really bad or was bad enough that they came to terms with it. And you were like, they were like, you know what? We need to be here. We, we brought this on ourselves. And then because things have gotten so spun out of control, you have a certain population of these alien prisoners that are enemies of the party. And then you have a portion of them that are sympathetic to the party. Cause they're like, look, we, through the generations, we have cr- developed this culture to keep these people here because we're never getting back to that planet. So our whole existence is around like keeping them in this prison. And now they found a way to get out. And so like our whole life is fanatically devoted to like keeping the status quo on this egg. And those are your potential allies for the party then. Yeah. I love it. And then you could start to think about, you know, then where I would expand that is like, so next step that's interesting to me is like, so what would a player from this place be like? And Mm -hmm. this, do you, do you want to get into that whole conversation about class design since we're having a design conversation? Um, or do you want to save that for future? I think we should save class design for future. Cause I think the whole point of this episode is like, you know, as as what we what would we do with the concept of spaces in a Spelljammer book, right? And so our first example is that like epic scale whole campaign is based around the second example is like um, an individual, uh, like a, maybe a series of games, like a, something that they can run into. It doesn't define the campaign. It's a cool thing that can, it'll take up like weeks of playtime or whatever the case may be. And then I'd like to go with a third example, which is a commonly overlooked thing in science fiction games, which is like the weird 
twist quirky effects right and again i'm going to go back to farscape but in farscape they have a lot of like really weird things that just happen they have an episode where everybody switches bodies and it's a there's a whole element around that story but part of the fun of that episode is watching these actors portray these other characters as if they're being inhabited by them right and so I'd like to do that as our third example for, uh, to kind of round out the episode is like, let's take our design from that, you know, campaign to event, multi-session event to this is something that can happen in a session, right? So what's a weird, fun thing that you can just throw into the mix that's very sci-fi just to kind of like l- put that layer of like frosting on the game that you're looking for, right? So you have your normal adventure. Let's say it's just a standard space adventure, right? Like, let's say it's a heist, right? It's a space heist. The, but the twist is X, right? So we're, we're, this is our third example. We're dialing it even further uh, in the example, right? So our example is like, then this happens, right? The heist goes wrong or they, there's an item that gets stolen. Like, and we could say like our cool factor, step one is something like there's an item in that vault that screws time right so there's as they're trying to uh get in and steal steal what they've been hired to steal this accidentally gets triggered so the whole session is a series of like weird moments in time that are plotted on their escape route right so if they're trying to get out like they're trying to get to their ship and then get on their ship and then fly off the planet their entire path is riddled with these pockets of time, right? So that's our like, oh shit, that's cool kind of thing, right? So what does that look like, right? Like there's there could be pockets of time that are slowed down for certain people, so they move slower. There could be pockets of time where they're, they get aged. There could be pockets of time that send them back in time. You know, you could have somebody run into a spot on the platform and it puts them like four minutes back before they got there. So they, they're like watching as they're ru- they're watching as their other self is running towards that part of the platform. And then they can look over and see what everybody else is doing. Right. So that like, let's let, let's like uh, use that as kind of our third example is like, what is our our cool, you know, step one is like our that's our cool fact, our wow factor. And then go from there. What do you think? Um, I well, you mentioned body swapping already. And I think I definitely think that's a thing I want to do or pitch to the guy running the Star Trek Adventures game we're playing right now to do like a body swap thing because that would be hilarious to try and play the other people's characters as they play them. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I I think the time thing is interesting but then the question I have is like how do you handle that mechanically so it's not just like a nightmare to right. deal with and, and my first thought is just like oh i don't know just cobble it together in 5e with some combination of advantage disadvantage and exhaustion right um but to me like i think it would be great if they're like a polymorph effect mm-hmm. um like take that time idea right um like they escape into a flooded room and they're polymorphed into fish um i love it like or some intelligent species or more intelligent species of fish. Because recently in a DD game, you were you were there for this. I was like, oh yeah, I can cast polymorph on myself as a druid. And I think it'd be pretty fun to be a T-Rex. And so, you know, I read the spell description. It was just like, you keep your personality in alignment, but you have the intelligence or whatever of the thing. So I was like, well, now I get to play my character with an intelligence of three. Uh, or six or whatever the t-rex was so it's like Mm -hmm. i'm big i'm still me but i'm not as bright as i used to be and not gonna do a lot of strategic thinking and i think it'd be fun to pose challenges to those so with the time thing the first room is water and they're Mm -hmm. fish and then they're kind of like a lizard thing and then they're a monkey thing and they're like evolving as they go through the rooms of this dungeon to escape but they're polymorphed in each one and you can just have the stats for that animal and be like, here you go. Mm-hmm. Um, and then maybe vary your descriptions based on like what you, the intelligence would be like. So mm-hmm. a lot of details like describes that's where you could get weird. I think as a DM is like describing what does like, what does the slot machine room in a casino look like to a monkey? 
Uh, <laughs> like there are all these curved, shiny things that spin loudly. Um, you know, like just there's the exit, but you got to get through. And then maybe you could have a fight as monkeys against the security guards who are also monkeys at this point. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, what's just some weird polymorph effect. Right. Or for extra it. fun, one PC is makes a saving throw. Mm-hmm. Makes mm-hmm. the saving throw. And so they're like their normal selves surrounded by monkeys. <laughs> it, you know, that, that brings up, I don't want to go too much on a tangent here, but it might be applicable to this conversation. I never understood why 5e or role-playing games don't have limited or stock amounts of saves. You know, like a spell gets cast. Okay. It ca- it gets cast on a group and the conditions of the spell save, only two people can save, have the opportunity to save for that. And I never understood why that wasn't written into spells. Like, is it because it's perceived as not being fair or like could higher level spells be made more like you take, you take like a charm person, right? And you say, okay, well, charm person, when it advances in level um, becomes charm group of people, right? Or whatever the case may be. Um, and then you say, well, to make it more powerful, only a limited number of people can save from this, you know? Well, I think, I think as you level up and the save DC against your spell goes up, a limited number of people can save against it. Gotcha. I mean, like I'm what's a sly flourish says like for in his horde rules and it, I've been paying attention to this. It kind of tracks that typically no matter the spell DC, there's some off chances where you're like doing a con save against an, a monster with a con of 20 or something. But typically, a quarter of the monsters are going to make the saving throw. And mm-hmm. it's sort of the same with the PCs. About a quarter of them are going to make it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the rest aren't. And there's some variation, I think, to make it fair. But I feel like it's already that idea is already baked in. Gotcha. Um, if player agency i could see players especially players who are used to the way things are which is you know all of our group would sure. revolt against that <laughs> um new player would say maybe you could pull it over you on just them, don't tell them yeah yeah <laughs> i mean you just lie yeah make it can you make a con save and they say something and you know you say oh, okay you didn't make it well Sorry. you know you said look it will well it's a different version of a fireball only three people can save can make their save only three people have the opportunity to make a save. The rest of you are going to get burned to the worst degree of this fireball. That's just the way it works. Like I'd be a fan of that obscene amount of bullshit. Uh, you know, leave your leave your comments, <laughs> right? Isn't it? Leave your comments about how stupid and fucked up that is. Uh, but you know, so okay. So step two, tangent over. Step two then of our space phenomenon as a part of a, an adventure it step two is what like how do you like this changes a little bit because in the past two examples it's like what is the reason for players to go to this space and i think in this part two is what do we got to do to get the players buy-in because whenever you my experience with instituting something fucked up or weird or crazy or quirky is the players like immediately freeze up that you know the rear iris clenches and everybody goes silent because nobody knows what to do because nobody like there's a certain level of they don't understand or they don't want to make a mistake or they don't know what's going on insert your reason there but nobody's like oh cool i jump into that space and turn into a fish or a monkey or whatever the case may be so i think part two instead of being like what is the reason for the party to go to this space is how do we get the player buy-in to the conditions what do you think yeah um i mean i think your idea earlier of saying hey guys this is the adventure but do it before <laughs> just be like hey there's going to be some polymorphing um mm-hmm. in this adventure it's not permanent um and it's part it's part of the plan for the adventure so mm-hmm. just lean into it guys and, and we'll have a good time right um but how do we write this into the like, because the way I'm imagining it is that we have three examples. So if we really wanted to get weird about this, we could like design a whole book. You know, here's your campaign level stuff. Here's your specific location level stuff. And then here's your weird space phenomenon once a game kind of stuff. Right. So then uh, that's what I guess I'm looking for a little more, bit more dialed in kind of 
you know, like we could, we could make this like the grade box off to the side that says, if the party won't buy in, tell them this, right. Yeah. <laughs> as far as box tax goes, I guess. But, um, you know, like, so what is our, what is our mechanism for player buy-in their reason to participate in the, in the event, you know, um, like- I, I do like leading open-ended questions. Um, this is the thing I got from uh, Fear of Black Dragon, Jason Cordova, um, mm-hmm. from the Gauntlet, and uh, I think I got all the names of that stuff right. I hope so. Shout out to you. Um, <laughs> is just the idea of leading questions. Like I've been thinking about this a lot uh, with other people's campaigns I'm playing, and it's just like, don't tell me that the town is down on its luck and spend an hour describing that. Just mm-hmm. be like, as you walk into the town square you see what do you see that lets you know the town is down on its luck Mm -hmm. right so giving them that agency to also be co-authors i know that's more of a story gamey thing than people are probably used to or think about in a regular concept of 5e i know a lot of people do please i'm not saying this is like some genius idea i had (laughs) um (laughs) but you know well i am so okay uh leave your comments below uh so you would just be like uh what do you see that makes you know if you go into this water space you're going to be okay mm-hmm. like that sort of leading question like i need you to go into this space to describe the weird thing that happens next and you can go from it but what do you see that makes you think it's going to be okay and then right. that given that agency and that authorial intent to the pc or to the player um themselves i think might be a way to get them to buy into the weird Right. Yeah. I use this, um, you know, uh, this came out of me just absolutely falling in love with dungeon world. Um, this came, I, I use this all the time. And the first version I used of it that I, I really liked involved like a one shot in dungeon world where the party had to get into these boats and make their way down the river to the location of the site of the adventure and I said, you guys are in these boats with these like um, these guides, like there's a couple of other people per boat and they're all whispering to each other about something they're really afraid of at the destination at the forest where you guys are going to end up. Like, what are they talking about? And the players are like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, what are they afraid of? Like, what do you think? Like, And I, I turned it over to them. And again, it's one of those things where it's what the players came up with was way better than what I could have. And I, I, I was like scribbling notes to change what the big bad of the adventure was based on what they came up with. Cause I was like, I want to fulfill what they came up with. Um, so like, I think there's a great potential for story game to be in five E or anything you're running, like to get that participation, you'll get a more engaged player base, a more engaged audience, a more, a better story. If, if you, if you ride that line between I'm lazy and didn't do any work, you come up with it, you know, cause there is that element, right? Like I have been in games like that where people have run games and I've been like, well, this is your adventure. I'm the player. Tell me what's going on. Like I, I run my own games. I don't have time for this shit. So I feel like you, if you ride that line, right. So, um, you know, you can, you can take that route with this one, right. Where the science fiction effect is in play, uh, that de-evolution or evolutionary pockets of time as we're describing it. And then you can try to get the player buy-in. I wonder what that would look like. Do you have any ideas as to how you would engage that buy-in? I know that's putting you on the spot, but that's kind of the whole point of this podcast to begin with. So <laughs> so like an evolutionary pocket. Um, mm-hmm. I think like you do the first gimmick with the first spaces. How do you know it's that you need to go in here and it's going to be okay? Or mm. what makes you feel like you're going to get out of this one. And then you do the polymorphing effect. And then for Love the it. next room, you're like, what stage of evolution, like this space looks like this. What gives away, you know, what stage of evolution do you think that this one might be? And like, let them narrate it because it's really like, all you got to do is just have a, you know, like a D&D Beyond open and then just pick the closest animal analog <laughs> yeah. and pull up the stats. I mean, it's not... Yeah. Like that's your prep is having a window open on your PC or whatever your tablet. Yeah. I mean, um, what I like to do is, is whatever the relevant challenge rating is for the party. And if, if the party comes up with something and I'm like, okay, we're using this monster. It's usually goblins on lower level 
adventures, you know, if I need a default monster, it's usually goblin. No, that's the stat block I use, right? That's the other thing too. I think about the, the learning from the box text conundrum is you think I got to have unique stats for this thing. I got to have these stats and really do you, it's a low level adventure. I need a monster that's durable. It's a zombie. Yeah. Yeah. I I need a monster that's light and sneaky. It's a goblin. What do you describe it as? Whatever the hell you want. Right, right. It's a magical, it's a, it's a pile of floating eels, you know, like it's just eels, Mm -hmm. like a ball of eels swarming towards you and it moves away really quickly. And then it disappears behind a rock. Good at hiding. What is that? Mm -hmm. It's a goblin. It's Mm -hmm. just a goblin. (laughs) Right. All right. So then step three is allies and enemies and this is a part i think where you can get really fun and creative with it because remember this this phenomenon is just supposed to happen in one adventure like the whole point of this is like i want to run a heist adventure in a space game but i want to kick it up a notch i want to add a weird science fiction effect so the party has gotten hired to do a heist they go to the heist they steal the stuff and then they have to pass through a series of rooms on their way out where there's these de-evolving effects from something that malfunctioned or went off when they when the heist goes wrong, because inevitably the heist always goes wrong. Right. So then as far as allies and enemies are concerned, you can then get super weird and creative with this and you can say, okay, there's these pockets of elemental or of evolutionary time that pop up in the universe. So the default then in my place is go, well, there are people who protect it and there are people who exploit it. Right. So then what you can do is at key points in these rooms, and not for every player, if every player is going through them at different rates, you can suddenly have like what is essentially like dimension lords or time lords or evolution lords or whatever, you know, pop up in these weird circumstances. It's like this weird alien pops up and is like, you can't go forward. Like you'll break the fabric of space time. You have to, you know, or whatever, or like you have to put that device down or whatever. And so then you can create an inherent enemy ally system in your own weird fucked up space phenomenon as it's happening in your heist game. And yeah. it kind of writes itself. Like the base premise is like, there are people who exploit it and people who protect it. And if you're the ever people like, who exploiting it are using it as a security system for whatever incredibly valuable MacGuffin that they love have. It. Like this is the, you didn't expect this phenomenon because the security is to make it easy for, you know, easy for them to retrieve the artifact once someone steals it. So once the alarm is triggered, that's when it pops up. These are the exploiters, and you're going to find maybe a resistance inside the elemental time of right. the protectors who've been looking for the guys to take these bastards down. Yeah. Um, as a bunch yeah. of monkeys. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, well, that's the thing is like they could be slightly altered in the pockets of time too, and they could have devices on themselves that make it so that their layer of alteration is minimal. Right. Yeah. So as they're jumping from different pockets, like only their appendages are changing or, or certain aspects of them. And then you can get real fun where the players, once they take a shot at the enemies of that, they can like get these devices and put them on and then f- like, you know, screw up trying to figure them out while they're moving through the, you know, these evolutionary pockets. And it's like it's like you, you've got fun baked right into it. You know, I just love the idea of the party trying to navigate through a hedge maze to all Demetrodons. That's... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. I, I feel like, you know, when it comes to making a game, you you really only need to keep with these, like, base elements, right? Don't and, and, and don't overthink it. Keep it simple. And I think a great way to do allies and enemies or to up the up the complexity or interesting level of something is to just be like okay like don't overthink this there's whatever is the point of my game there's somebody who's trying to exploit it there's somebody's trying to protect it and you're good just go with that and i think you can you you can use that as a starting block for anything in D. like it's a base theme that you can use it like if you've got 10 minutes to make a game you're like okay they got to go here they got to do x it's a heist this happens Great. So now I need to come up with enemies. Okay. So there's somebody protecting it. There's somebody exploiting it. Boom. We're done. Right. Like that's, that's all the need to know you need to know. Right. And I think, yeah, just going back to, I wanted to mention this earlier, but just to kind of, as we're sort of wrapping this conversation up, one of the things about like, we are both for the audience 
and shout out to Sly Flourish. I wish I could remember his his real name. Uh, <laughs> Mike Shea? Mike Shea, yes. Shout out mm-hmm. to Mike Shea on this one. Um, the Ten Secrets mm-hmm. uh, from The Huge Ten fan. Secrets. If, if you have not read, if you run games and you have not read uh, Zero Prep or, or Lazy DM um, mm-hmm. by Sly Flourish, a.k.a. Mike Shea, go do yourself a favor and go read that. Um, Get that book. Pay money for yeah. it. Support him. Yeah, it, yeah. It, it will elevate your game. But those 10 secrets, you know what they tend to fall into? In my experience as I'm writing them, they tend to fall into a place, mm-hmm. a friend, mm-hmm. a foe, a thing. So uh, Kevin Crawford's one is just a more, I think, focused way to do it, um, maybe in five. But I think one of the benefits from Shay's system is that and you have extra stuff that you can recycle mm-hmm. um, later. So, yeah, I mean, just... Who opposes them? Who can help them? Uh, what is the thing that they want? And what is the place where it happens? That's right. You can design an entire like wild space system based on that premise. You can design a strange uh, cosmic encounter based on that system. You can, I mean, it sort of scales pretty effortlessly. Right. Um, yeah. Well, it sounds like, it sounds like we have it. I think that's a pretty good roundup of everything we wanted to do. You know, we didn't want to, you know, our, we didn't want to set out to tell people to make a Bible, right? Like that's no good. We wanted to stay within, you know, the context of making something light and accessible as it's presented in Spelljammer. Cause I don't have the problem with the way it's presented. And then we wanted to set out to give some examples of something. And we ended up with a large scale, we ended up with a medium scale thing, right? Like a campaign level, uh, an event level, and then something you could just throw into a game just to make it interesting because that's what sci-fi is. And and our rules were, or at least our best practices, I guess, was step one, come up with the wow factor. Step two, come up with a reason for the party's buy-in or to go adventure on your in, in your in at your site. And then step three was come up with enemies and allies to inhabit that system. And... You know, I think as long as you stick with that as your core, I think you're you're in you're in good shape. Is there anything else you would add to that? No, I, I mean I think that's it. Um do the stuff like do the stuff that has a wow factor for you and that you're curious to see how your players will react to. Um, right. And and go from there. Um, right. And this stuff doesn't have to just be relegated to a science fiction game. Like you can run an Eberron game and you can have like a something that happened on the day of mourning in, in Siri in the Mornland. And when your players return to the Mornland because they came from Siri, they can get to a, a vault, right? That they uncovered. And because of the effects of the day of mourning, like everything's all fucked up in that vault. It's like this is you know pocket of magical disasters i mean you could just use what we just created now and throw it in there for the party to encounter so that when that happens jesse can go oh shit we did an episode about that and now we're playing it because i'm going to steal it because it's fun yeah i i I definitely want to uh want to steal the um the evolutionary pocket idea (laughs) or not steal because we came up with it together i i want that to you know i want to use that yeah. Uh, but you're going to see it coming a mile away. And maybe, I don't know. Does that take a while? Who knows? Um, okay, cool. Well, we solved the indie again. Like we did. We did episode. it, guys. We did yeah. it. So congratulations. Uh, this has been the Jaunty Mantis. Um, creative yeah. questions for curious gamers. Yeah, I'm Jesse Tower. I'm Matthew Herzberg. And, you know, Jesse, where can people find out more information about our awesome podcast on the internet? Uh, at Jaunty Mantis. Um, podcast i don't know it's really i'm (laughs) jaunty mantis at jaunty mantis that is right i can't believe that one was open um (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah, and you know i uh, apologies for these early days episodes you know as we're just trying to get our shit figured out uh i think there's a lot of good stuff in here though and i i I hope it helped people because you know, uh, after after being into games for a while, I, I love the fact that there are YouTube channels and podcasts and, you know, stuff on the Internet that people can go and read. I wish I had this when I was a kid. Right. Like I would love I would hate to be a kid right now because shit's fucked up and, and, and it looks really hard to be a kid right now. So. Uh, but I wish I had these resources when I was a kid getting into gaming because God, this would have been a fucking tre- treasure trove. I'm not even just talking about, I'm not talking about 
us, us uh, doing a podcast, just to have stuff like Sly Flourish or the you know uh, Angry GM or or all of these other you know uh, Matt Colville stuff. Like, God, it's just it's awesome that all this stuff is out there. So um, yeah, when we were coming up, the company wasn't Wizards; it was TSR. Mm-hmm. And uh, the joke was that it was they stew regularly. If you had a fan site, <laughs> you would get a cease and desist. There, I mean, so when we talk about right. being no resources, the company that made the game would actively come after you if you tried to create resources on the internet. So, yeah. True story. It's a so, golden age, y'all. So, Jesse, where can people find more information about you on the internet? So, yeah, uh, I am at Jingo Spent. How about you, Matt? No. Don't do it. I don't like social okay. media. I have accounts, but I, I don't like them. I hate social media. I think it's the bane of hu- human existence. I think it's a, just a terrible phase that we're going through. Uh, I th- Facebook knows that social media isn't going to last. They're, they rebranded to Meta and are trying desperately to have a new thing. Uh, I think social media is going to be the thing that like in 50 years, people are going to look back and be like, what the fuck were we thinking? Like, It's not going to last. It's terrible. I, I feel like tw- the only reason for Twitter to exist is to go out and get into a fight with someone. Uh, and, and as far as Facebook's concerned, I think it's rotten and terrible. So on that note, uh, thank you for tuning in to our second episode. Uh, I'm going to end all tangents here and hope Jesse presses the end meeting button on Zoom. And uh, for Jesse Sauer and myself, thank you for listening to the episode two of the John T. Mantis podcast. We had a sign off last time. What was play it? Play some fucking games. Just get out there and fucking play some games. Play fucking games. Fucking play games. <laughs>